0: Chapter Twenty-Eight of Doctor Syn by Russell Thorndyke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pale Rider. Chapter Twenty-Eight: The Fight at Millhouse Farm. Millhouse Farm was the last on Beelzebub's list, and in the dyke facing the house but on the other side of the high road crouched the king's men commanded by the captain's boatswain they were as still as mice for the captain had given strict orders to the boatswain on that score but they need not have put themselves to such pains for owing to the extreme vigilance of sexton mipps the smugglers knew exactly where they were and what they were going to do now it is depressing to the most seasoned fighters to have to crouch for hours in a soaking muddy dyke waiting for an outnumbering enemy for it was common knowledge that if smuggling was carried on upon the marsh it was well manipulated and relied for its secrecy upon the strength and numbers of its assistants so the boatswain had no easy task in keeping his men from grumbling for whatever captain collier's opinion may have been with regard to maintaining the law according to his duty it was pretty evident that his men had no great relish for the task and the boatswain heartily wished that the captain had not left him responsible for his absence was having a poor effect upon the men and the unfortunate boatswain was greatly afraid that they would fail to put up a good fight when the time came it is one thing to fight an enemy but quite another to shoot down your own countrymen and although every man-jack of them was itching for the french war they felt no enthusiasm for this suppression of smuggling for the whole of the countryside would have taken the side of the law-breakers and who knows how many of these same kingsmen had not themselves done a very profitable trade with the illegal cargoes from france these were the feelings that existed as the king's men lay in the dyke opposite millhouse farm listening to the noise of ponies hoofs in the yard and waiting to fire upon any one who presented himself but the order not to kill but to fire low also dampened their spirits for what chance would they have against desperate fellows keeping their necks out of the rope who would not hesitate but would rather aim to kill the boatswain had great difficulty in preventing one old sea-dog who lay next to him in the ditch from voicing his opinion of the proceedings in a loud bass voice but what did he say he after all had the good grace to whisper though a whisper that was none too soft at that what the hell's the sense mr boatswain of sending good seamen like we be to die like dogs in this blamed ditch ain't england got no use for seamen nowadays tain't the members of Parliament what'll serve her when it comes to fighting though they does talk so very pleasant they don't talk as much as you do was the hushed retort of the boatswain look here job mallet went on the sea-dog you been shipmate of mine for longer than i well remembers and you be in command here well i ain't a-kicking against your authority mind you but i'm older than you be and i want to voice my opinion to you which is also the opinion of every mother's son in this damned ditch why don't we clear out of this and be done with the folly we looks to you Job mallet i say we looks to you as our bosun and a very good bosun you be we looks to you we does to save us being made fools of we wants to fight the frenchies and not our own fellows the parliament's a making a great mistake putting down the smugglers. If they only talked nice to 'em they'd find a regiment or two of smugglers very handy to fight them ugly Frenchies. For my own part, I don't see why the parliament don't put down other professions for a bit and leave the smugglers alone. Why not give lawyers a turn, eh? They could do with a bit of hex dirty swabs. And so could the doctors what sell colored water for doses. Bah, dirty dishonest fellows. But oh, no, it's always the poor smugglers who be really hard-working fellows, and very good fighters they be too, as we'll soon be called upon to see. All this time, Job Mallet tried to silence him, but threats, persuasions, and arguments were all alike useless. Old Collywobbles thinks the same as what we does. I'll have you to remember, whispered the bosun stiffly, that I am being in command in this ere ditch don't know as to who you be alludin' when you say Collywobbles. I don't know no one of that name. Oh, ain't you a stickler to duty, chuckled the sea-dog. Still, I respects you for it though p'r'aps you'll permit me to remind you as how it was you in the forecastle of the resistance as gave the respected captain howard collier r n the pleasant pet name of collywobbles though perhaps that's slipped your memory for the moment it has answered the bo'sun very well then but you can take it from me as how it was so there and a very clever name it be too "'But there, you always was one of the clever ones, Job Mallet.' "'I wish I were clever enough to make your fat mouth shut. I do,' muttered the bosun. "'Now then, Job Mallet, don't you begin getting to personalities. "'There now, I don't want to quarrel with you. "'You've always had my greatest respects, you has, "'and as we probably be stiffens in a few minutes, we won't quarrel, old pal.' but I give you my word that I don't like being shot down like a rabbit, and I'm sorry as how it's you as is in command, cause if it was anyone else, I declares I'd get up now and walk home to bed. If Captain Collier was here, you know you'd do nothing of the sort. Why ain't he here? That's what I wants to know. Strike me dead, it's easy enough to send out poor old sea dogs to be shot like bunny rabbits, i could do that there ain't no pluck in that as far as i can see though perhaps i be wrong and if i be wrong well i'll own up to it for i don't care being put in the wrong of it when i is in the wrong of it you ain't a settin a very good example to the young men i'm thinkin said Job mallet you the oldest seaman here and a grumblin and a gossipin like an old housewife you ought to think shame on yourself, old friend. Oh well," growled the other. "I won't utter another blasted word. I won't. But if you does want to know my opinion in these ere proceedings, it's hell. I don't say as how I don't agree with you," returned Joe Mallet. "But there it is, and we got to make the best of it. It won't do no good a grumbling. We'll make the best of a bad job, and I hopes." "'as I, for one, will be able to do my duty, "'cause I don't relish it no more than you do.' "'Well, strike me blind, dumb, and deaf,' thundered the Sea-Dog, "'in a voice of emotion, as he clapped Job Mallet on the back. "'If I've been a snivelling powder-monkey, "'I ought to be downright ashamed of myself, "'and seeing as how I be the oldest seaman here instead,' "'Well, I'm more than damned downright ashamed. "'Job Mallet, thank you. "'You set a good example to us all, Mr. Bosun, "'and I'll stand by you for one. "'Damn the smugglers, and wait till I get at em, that's all.' "'Thank yer,' said the Bosun, "'but you'll greatly oblige me by keeping quiet, "'cause here be the smugglers if I ain't mistook.' indeed at that instant along the road came the sound of the sharp quick steps of the pack ponies at present they were hidden in the mist which floated thickly about that part of the marsh but they could not only hear the ponies but a sound of a voice singing as well this voice was raised in a wailing monotone and the words were repeated over and over again they were intended for the ears of the wretched sailors who were waiting in the ditch for the attack. "'Listen, no, oh, you good king's men who are waiting to shoot us from the damp ditch. We have got your kind captain here, a blunderbuss a-looking at the back of his head. If you fire on us, good king's men, then the blunderbuss will fire at the good captain, and then—' "'All the king's horses, and all the king's men? Could not put Captain together again. Even if the words were not sufficient to explain the situation to the sailors, the first figures of the cavalcade were all sufficient. A donkey led by two jack o' lanterns on foot jolted out of the fog. Upon its back was a man, bound and gagged, supported on either side by two devil men that the gagged wretch was the captain needed no words to tell for his uniform showed by the lantern's light and there right behind him sure enough was the blunderbuss in question pointed by a snuffy little devil called by his colleagues "Hellspite," who sat hunched up on a shoddy little pony this little group halted at a convenient distance from the sailors in the ditch, and Hellspite again rehearsed his little speech, ending with All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put captain together again. Now, the poor boatswain in command had all his life grown so used to taking other people's orders that he didn't know what to do for the best. He liked the captain and didn't want to see him killed though he knew what he must be suffering in his ridiculous position. He knew that had the captain but got the use of his speech, he would have shouted, "'Fire!' and be damned!' to them. But then the captain had not got the use of speech. The Scarecrow and Hellspite knew enough of the man to see to that, and as they had no great desire to be fired at, they had seen that the gags were efficient. So it was, after all, small wonder that the old grumbling sea-dog next to him, who possessed a rollicking vein of humor, laughed until he rolled back into the mud, for the sight was enough to make the proverbial cat laugh, much less a humorous old tar, and the rest of the men were divided into two classes, some following the example of the boatswain and being struck stiff with amazement and powerless wrath others joining the laughing tar in the muddy ditch and guffawing over the ridiculous situation of their captain for he was not the build of man to sit an ass with any dignity not being at all akin to a levantine jew but very absurd in his naval uniform with the cocked hat literally cocked right down over his nose it was this sudden surprise that made the sailors utterly unprepared for what followed a large party of horse swept out of the mist behind them and when they turned to see what fresh thing was amiss there was a gallant line of terrible cavalry pulling up on their haunches a few yards in their rear thus they were cut off on both sides at their backs the devils with flaming faces on horses of alarming proportions and in front their captain waiting for them to shoot to meet his own death by the little demon's blunderbuss if you fire, you good king's men, then the devil shall blast your captain, And you as well, you good king's men shrieked and howled the terrible demons at the back, who covered with pistols or blunderbuss every jack-tar in the ditch. Then another rider appeared on the scene. He was tall, thin, and of ungainly countenance, and he rode a light-gray thoroughbred. He was the scarecrow and all the devils hailed him by that name as he appeared. Behind him came the pack-ponies, some sixty or seventy in all, and on each pony was a wool-pack that would have meant a human neck to the king's hangman, if only Collier were free to work his will. The scarecrow drew up in the road and watched the great procession of ponies pass along toward the coast. When they had all but passed he gave a signal and the doors of Millhouse Barn were opened, and ten more heavily laden ponies trotted out and joined the snake of illegal commerce that was wriggling away to the sea. Then like some field marshal upon the field of battle did the scarecrow slowly ride over a small bridge, and then along the front of his demon cavalry. Jerry Jerk heard him give a short order to Beelzebub as he passed, and then saw him gallop away after the pack ponies and then came the ordeal for the king's men for they were kept in that uncomfortable position for a full two hours or maybe even longer folly to move folly to fight there they had to stop a foolish-looking group of fighting men if you like but more foolish had they attempted resistance for they were outnumbered in men in arms and in wits once indeed did the boatswain nearly lose his head and that was when hellspite lowered his blunderbuss and produced a clay pipe which he lit the boatswain saw a chance spat in his hand grasped his cutlass and clambered from the dike but instantaneously came the ominous noise of cocking pistols and the old sea-dog grabbed the boatswain's leg and pulled him back swearing into the mud hellspite chuckled and smoked his pipe the horsemen covered every man in the ditch with cocked weapons, and so another hour passed over the curious group. Suddenly from over the marsh came the cry of a curlew, weird and repeated seven times. Hellspite put up his pipe and muttered an order to the two devils by the donkey, and then he addressed the sailors. "'Now, good sailors, we will trouble you for your arms.' Pass them up to good Job Mallet, and he shall stretch his legs and lay them at my feet. But again Job Mallet lost his head. He arose in the ditch and sang out bravely, You and the rest of you are damned cowards in silencing the mouth of our captain. Had he his voice, you know what he'd say. Shoot and be damned to you, and well you know it. Why don't you meet us in fair fight, you damned cowards, instead of using such devil's tricks? "'Cause we ain't so bloody-minded as the good king's bosun,' answered Hellspite in a piping voice, which drew forth a great laugh from the devils. One of the seamen, considering that all eyes were now upon the bosun, leaped from the ditch and made a rush for Hellspite with his naked cutlass. Five or six pistols cracked behind him, and over he fell, face downward in the road. Every shot had taken effect. He was dead. "'Oh, do keep your little heads, you silly king's men,' wailed Hellspite. "'Furt, look how we've spoiled that nice little man. He's no use now to fight the French, no use at all. Oh, what a pity, what a pity, what a pity!' Again came the cry of the curlew, seven times. Now then, those weapons, ordered Hellspite sharply, and if they don't come along quick, we'll put this captain out of service along with this man here. There was nothing for it but to obey. They were in the demon's power. The sailors had found that the smugglers were good shots, and that they meant business. No, there was nothing for it but to hand over their arms to the bosun who with bad grace laid them upon the roadway whence they were picked up by the jack-o'-lanterns who bore them into the barn now then my fine fellows said hellspite we'll plump this ere captain on the road you will pick him up if you want him and take him home to bed for the dawn ain't far off and as the wool packs are safe and away we'll bid you good repose the captain was accordingly lifted from the donkey and laid upon the road the sailors were filed up round him and conducted ingloriously back to the vicarage barn three devils having been told off for the purpose bore away the body of the dead seaman so that before the dawn lit up the marsh there was no sign of smugglers anywhere and Jerry Jerk, after disrobing with the others at the coffin shop, was packed off home to bed by Beelzebub, where, without disturbing his grandparents, he fell immediately to sleep, and dreamed his whole adventure over again. Just as the dawn was breaking, Mips was returning from the vicarage barn, where he had deposited a bundle of weapons outside the door when he saw a yellow-faced man creeping along the field by the churchyard wall. As he watched the figure disappear into a deep dyke, he muttered, I wonder if that there thing is real or unreal. I wonder if he did get off that reef in his body. If he did, what the blarsted hell's he finin' to live upon? And if he ain't, well, God help one of us in this ere place, and he scurried back to the coffin shop like a sneaking rat. End of Chapter Twenty-Eight.